Welcome to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. In this ever-changing world, it's essential to prioritize our children's emotional well-being. Lynn can show you how to learn and model healthy emotional habits for your loved ones and become a rock-solid support system for your family. Now, here's your host. Hi, everyone, and welcome back as we take the helm. If you missed last week, we had Margaret Borsma on. She's a social-emotional learning consultant and trainer and owner of her own company called Creative Education in Action. We talked about games that teach children about their emotions and the skills connected to each one, how we support our anxious kids, and the conflict resolution skills that work. How we give and how we receive compassion for ourselves. That's very important these days, giving it to ourselves and others and get unstuck. So check it out. It's on every podcast app now. You can listen at any time, about two to three hours after the live uh, is published. Sarah Ulsher is a single mom. She's a cancer survivor and was chosen as the 2023 Remarkable Woman by Nextstar Media. She is our guest today. She's the founder of Mighty and Bright which provides a wealth of information and tools to help overwhelmed parents prioritize mental health for their kids, learning together and incorporating coping skills into day-to-day life. When parents are dealing with something hard, our kids are too. And I know this all too well. Sarah and I have spoken about this. When we're trying to survive, how do we help our kids through the worst thing that ever happened to them? Welcome aboard, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat today. Oh, me too. Me too. All right. So you've had your share of of hard times. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Which you now believe provided you with opportunities. And, you know, having been there a couple of times myself in my life, it is beyond difficult to think of things in that way when you're in the midst of it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, when I had my daughter, I think I just realized I was living for something bigger than myself. And, um, you know, I it made me realize that I could help other kids that were dealing with similar things. And so I think when you have like that bigger purpose, it makes it a little bit easier. Uh, people who've listened to me previously know that I'm a brain tumor survivor. When I was first diagnosed, I did not know if it was cancerous. I'm very cancerous. I'm very blessed because it was non-malignant. Uh, my surgery 10 years ago did remove the entire tumor. I have an acquired brain injury, but Hey, I'm still here. Mm -hmm. But when I go back to that time, Sarah, and I want you to talk about, you know, let's take us back to where you were, you know, it's really tough when you're in that survival mode, as I was saying, where, you know, what's going to happen next, what's my treatment decision? How am I going to take care of my kids Mm -hmm. to actually put, you know, where are they right now? Because each one is different too. Each one deals with these kinds of things in a, in a very, very different way. Just, just take us, take us back to that time and help us understand where you were. Yeah, I think, you know, I had a little bit of practice because I had already been through a really traumatic divorce when my daughter was a year and a half old and, really, she struggled a lot with anxiety. And so I had really tried to figure out how to handle that. And it was almost like a practice run for getting cancer, because it made me realize, you know, some of the things that we were dealing with during cancer treatment, like the schedule was crazy. And I was having to have difficult conversations. And my daughter was like, behavior was changing. Those were kind of like throwbacks, if you will, to what had gone on during divorce. And it made me realize that dealing with all kinds of difficult things, it doesn't have to be as dramatic as a cancer diagnosis. It can be for kids, you know, the worst thing that's ever happened to them 
could be losing their stuffy. You know, they don't have the perspective that we have. And so it it really is all relative. So this doesn't just apply to, you know, a life-threatening illness. Um, but helping our kids get through stuff and helping them cope with stuff when we are dealing with something that's really awful is like a whole other ball game because when you have all the resources in the world and your child is melting down, it's still not easy to deal with. Um, but when you are literally feeling like you're fighting for your life, um, it becomes really difficult. And so taking care of yourself first off is really important. And I think that was something that I realized early on in my cancer diagnosis was okay, I'm a single mom, I'm used to doing everything by myself. And I don't like asking for help. And the day that I was diagnosed, my daughter was actually like on her way to her dad's house as I was getting diagnosed. And I came home to an empty house. And the CEO at the company I was working for at the time, reached out because she knew that I was having this, you know, test and said, how did it go? we're all thinking it's going to be fine. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yeah, so I have cancer. Um, and so she immediately was like, what can I do to help you? And my answer was, I'm fine, nothing. And then I realized in that like moment, I had this feeling like in my chest and in my stomach, like I'm actually not fine. And I don't know what I need. And she said, could I bring you some groceries? Could I bring you dinner? And I was like, actually, yeah, Jackie, that would be great because I realized like, if you don't, I'm not going to eat anything and that's probably not good. And she came and brought like the biggest bag of groceries and like all kinds of random stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I realized when I saw her, like I, by saying yes to her, it made her feel like she could do something to help me. And now that I have been on the other side of cancer and have had terrible things happen to other people that I love, I know that I want to help and that by accepting help, people are giving a gift to me and I am giving a gift to them. And it's like a really wonderful cycle. And it's so important that, you know, if you want to show up for your kids during stuff like this, that you allow other people to show up for you. Because you cannot do everything by yourself. There's so much to unpack there. First of all, thank you, Jackie. Yeah. Because there, there's another side to that coin where people might, you know, they find out something is happening and they're too frightened. They're not sure what to say and back away from you. Mm -hmm. Jackie was there checking in on you. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And the second piece is in my sister, who's a nurse practitioner, uh, because we're so tough, we're so strong, we're invincible, right? I can handle this. I can handle this. Mm-hmm. When someone is taking that first step to say, can I help you? If we say no to them, we're actually shutting them down, their their ability to show empathy and compassion and care. So I, when I thought about that way, mm-hmm. it kind of makes it a little easier to say, yeah, 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 I do. And show your vulnerability and let people in. Well, thank you, Jackie. Yeah. And I think it's, it's hard because I think a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't want the attention. I don't want anyone to pity me. Pity is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I would just like to say out of all of the people that I allowed to help me, I would say maybe one of them had the pity face. Most of them had empathy and 
Other people's reactions actually have nothing to do with you. The people that pull away as hard as it is to not take things like that personally. Like when something difficult happens, it brings up a lot for people. And it, you know, you're literally facing your own mortality and that is terrifying. And if someone is not like done their own personal work, um, divorce, I lost a ton of friends because Mm -hmm. they were just like, if it could happen to her, it could happen to me and I can't handle this. So they just disappear. Um, But not taking that personally and realizing that it has nothing to do with you is important, I think. Great words of of advice, right? Because we're in the thick of it, whatever that is, whatever that life-changing experience or crisis that is happening to us. And you know, there's so many different things that could happen to us on any given day um, to be thinking about other people's reactions they own. And I don't own that. I love that. I'm going to ask you a, a, a question that many of us grapple with and, you know, whatever that crisis is and it's whether or not, and It differs, obviously, by the age of our kids, but how much to talk to our children about? Do we bring them into it? Do we not? I, for example, my kids were teenagers and yes, we brought them in and we told them as much as we possibly could. We didn't sugarcoat it, but we also didn't say mom's on death door, (laughs) you know, you know, so you feel very strongly about talking to kids about something like cancer. Absolutely. Um, I, I think I learned through my background is in psychology, but I studied adults. Um, And so I, when my daughter was little and having problems, I was like, I literally don't know what to do. So I did a whole bunch of research about child development and learned a lot. And that really has served me um, over the last 10 years. And one of the things that we have to understand about kids is that developmentally, the entire world revolves around them. And so when something is wrong, first off, they can sense it. They're like, they're like superpowers. These little people, like their ears are huge. They can hear everything. Um, But they also just like can sense a change in your energy, a change in your mood. So they know something is going on. And when you don't talk to them about it, they start to make up stories in their head. And because of, you know, the world revolving around them, they often play a starring role in these stories that they tell themselves, and they are the villain. And so when you aren't talking to your kids about something and they can sense something is wrong, you are teaching them that something is wrong that you're not allowed to talk about. Maybe you're not talking about it because it's the kid's fault. And then they're dealing with it themselves, by themselves. They are going to sleep at night, laying their little heads down, thinking, what did I do wrong? What is happening? I must have been a terrible kid and something awful is going on. We don't want that for our kids. And as difficult as it is to have these conversations, we absolutely have to have them because we're the grownups and we have to suck it up and figure out how to do it. And so I knew that when I was diagnosed with cancer, and I also knew that there were a billion and a half children's books out there, and one of them had to explain this in a way that made sense. Um, and, And I think the other thing I'll just say real quick is we talk a lot about what is age appropriate. And I think that is a really confusing term, along with like when you get divorced, they say, put the kids first and no one ever explains what any of this means. Mm -hmm. And basically it just means like, give them only the information that they need to know to understand what's going on and nothing more. 
because if you're giving them tons of information or you're putting your own emotions in it, it's confusing and it gets scary. So we just want to like really give them the basics and, but the basics can be the truth. And that is, I think something that I realized that I actually have a skill at, which is like taking something that's really complicated and making it more simple so that kids can understand it. And I learned this because when I ordered six different books about cancer, what arrived was not what I wanted. Um, I was looking for something that actually explained what cancer is. And instead, the books that I found basically just explained, like, you could lose your hair and now you wear a whole bunch of different hats. And it's like, okay, but why, why did your hair fall out? Or cancer hates it when you like give it hugs. And so you should hug the parent a lot. And it's like, okay, well, first off, what is cancer? And then <laughs> exactly, if hugging kills it, then what happens if your parent dies? Did you then not hug them enough? Like it just oh. felt terrible. I had no idea what was going to happen to me. And I just wanted something to explain the science of cancer. There was nothing out there. So I wrote it. Um, and that was my first book, which is called What Happens When Someone I Love Has Cancer. And it explains the science of cancer. And it takes into account what developmentally kids want to know, which is first off, what's going to happen to you? And secondly, how is this going to affect me from my day to day? And so it talks about radiation, it talks about chemo, all the things that might happen but then how does that affect a kid? Who's going to pick me up from school? You know, yeah. are you going to feel tired some days? Are you going to feel fine? Like, is it contagious? Like all these questions that kids have, we can explain them in a way that makes sense to them, doesn't overwhelm them, and then brings them into the conversation. Because the truth is that people use the word cancer and we can't control what other people's reactions are. And so by talking to them about it, we're kind of preparing them for what other people are going to do. So if someone, I said to my daughter, this is a big word. What is happening to me can mean a lot of different things. Exactly. And so someone could come up to me and find out I have cancer and think, you know, I'm going to die tomorrow when you and I know that that's not going to happen to me. And so I want you to know what's going on so that when other people have reactions, you and I know that that reaction isn't reality. So you're kind of preparing your kids for what's going on. And if they can speak to us about their fears and their anxieties as well. I love what you said about questions because my understanding all along the way is give them the information you need to give them. And when they have a question, if you have that connectiveness, if you have that open communication, they will come to you with the question, right? And then you're able to answer it in a way that is meaningful to them. And, and I think in kids' minds, it's not just the immediacy of what might happen, any crisis, what happens if, oh my gosh, will, I, will my father be, if I have a father, will my father be able to take care of me? Am I going to have to go move away? Am I going to lose my friends? Or am I, am I, am I? And that mm -hmm. their, their fears can just, you know, become this enormous thing that that just takes them right down. So that open communication, yeah. I love it. Yeah. And it's really tough. And I've said this before, my mother died of lung cancer 20 years ago, would not talk to us about any just, you know, yeah. and in that generation, it was, 
I'm protecting my kids. I don't want them to know my fear and worry, but I think it caused her more illness throughout her life because she held it all inside. Yeah. And to your point, I would say my aunt is a really big reason why I do what I do because she died when she was 42 and she left three kids behind and she was not honest with them about what was going on. And they are still upset about it. And it's been almost 40 years. It's the regrets. There's a part of me still, you know, that thinks, oh, I wish I could have helped her. Maybe if she's spoken to me, I could have, I could have given her more comfort, even though it was her choice and we all honored it at the time. I I think it helps us to see things in a different perspective. I respect them tremendously. Absolutely for doing that. That's the way things used to be, but it doesn't need to be that way. Agreed. I'm not suggesting that some of the things, many of the things, many of the tools and strategies that our parents used to raise raise us aren't still wonderful and fantastic. <laughs> but the piece about early intervention, speaking about our emotions, opening up our vulnerability is something that certainly didn't happen in my time. You know, if anybody's tuning out because they all oh, should yeah, okay, just wanted to no, I think to clarify when you, there. When you know better, you do better. Yeah. And if if next generations aren't doing better. I mean, I'm looking at my kid and I'm like, you are light years beyond where I was emotionally Mm -hmm. when I was like 30. So if we, that's the whole goal is, you know, our, our uh, ceiling is our kid's floor. So when the high, we just want to do as good as we can, and they are going to take it and so much further than we could have ever imagined. It's really cool. Okay, we're going to be heading off to break, coming back with Sarah Olsher. We're going to talk about divorce and the complications that occur, especially when we get into custody issues and all of those kinds of things, and how we can best support our kids. We'll be back in a minute. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Our kids today face a world that's different from what we experienced. The pressures they encounter are unique and they need a fresh approach. But fear not, we're here to guide us all towards a brighter future. Join us and schedule Heart Matters Embracing Emotional Health for All and uncover answers and proven strategies that work for our children's sake. It's more than an event. It's a catalyst for change. We delve deep into what being emotionally well truly means. It's more than just being happy or stress-free. It's about developing resilience, empathy, self-awareness, and more. Discover how normalizing emotions and modeling for our children will empower us all to build healthy relationships. You'll have the opportunity to engage with renowned experts in mental health and education as they share their invaluable knowledge and practical insights. But that's not all. We'll provide you with a wealth of resources. Whether you're interested in scheduling an in-person or virtual event, Heart Matters is designed as an interactive session to accommodate the needs of your school or community. Let's shape a future where emotional well-being is prioritized and our children thrive in loving and supportive environments. Discover the answers and act now for our children's sake. Email Lynn at lynnmclaughlin.com to start the conversation. Receive your free proposal and book your date. Are you feeling confused by all the medical information out there? Listen to Healthy Wealthy You 
to learn strategies that will help you create a personal approach that finally works for you. It's you living your best life. Healthy Wealthy You with host Dr. Camille Vardy, Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You are listening to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. Have a question for Lynn or her guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now back to the show. We're back with Sarah Olsher talking about why we need to bring our kids into the conversation when we're facing a crisis in our life. We've talked about uh, Sarah's cancer and how she brought her daughter into the conversation and why and in what way and some really big ticket things to think about if you're facing some type of crisis, not necessarily a life-threatening illness. Parenting is the toughest thing, the toughest thing that we're going to do in our lives if we've chosen to take that path. So let's give ourselves some forgiveness, a pat on the back just for trying and saying, well, that didn't work. I'm going to move on and try something else. That's what makes us resilient. And that's what teaches our kids what resiliency is. And it's okay to take risks. But let's jump over now, Sarah, to divorce. You you mentioned earlier that you had a very traumatic divorce and we know that these things affect our kids. We were talking before breaks about how their minds, you know, what's going to happen? Where am I going to live? What about all these kinds of things that happen? So how do we support our kids, especially when you've got a volatile divorce like you experienced where, you know, the two people are not on great communication grounds? Yeah, I think when I went through my divorce, it was 10 years ago and it was really terrible. Um, and I didn't have any hope that we would ever be able to have any sort of conversation. Um, but now we all vacation together. So there is hope. Um and I would say in the very beginning, we did, couldn't communicate at all. Uh, we were parallel parenting instead of co-parenting. My daughter would see him for Wednesday dinners and every other weekend. And she was showing a lot of anxiety. I really had no idea how to help her. And she was two. And, you know, I... I think most people would think that that's too young to see a therapist, but like I mentioned earlier, I studied adults and I had no clue what to do. And I searched high and low for a trauma informed child therapist that would take a toddler. And at the time, my ex-husband was like, what are we going to learn from a therapist for a two-year-old? And the answer is a freaking ton because at that time, there was really no information out there about how you can support really little kids. And the number one thing that I learned and what sent me down like a rabbit hole of research is that little kids, even if they can't talk a lot, understand way more than we give them credit for. These little people are brilliant. And because they can't communicate very well, we just automatically assume that they don't understand what's going on. They know when something's not right, even if they can't identify why. They pick up on the nonverbal. They pick up on the tension. 
between us and in our households. If we think about how it feels when someone else is upset in our home, it does radiate from them. When we are struggling or suffering deep feelings of frustration, fear, worry, whatever they are inside of us, they know it. They feel it. (laughs) Totally. Totally. And so I would I was thinking at the time, you know, she's so little, she doesn't really need an explanation about what's going on. I could not have been more wrong. And so even if you have a child that is one and a half, two, you can very simply say to them, right now, mommy, daddy, baby, we all live in the same house, but now daddy's going to live in a different house and mommy and baby are going to stay in this house and then baby is going to go you know, whatever you, how you talk to your kids, um, you can say it in a very simple way and repeating these things over and over again, but specifically having visuals for kids because of the way that they learn, they are not able to hold information in their brains. And this is true for years, like uh, (laughs) even into their adolescence, If you can show them visually what is going on, it makes an insane difference. And I figured this out because we were going to see the therapist and the therapist was going on vacation and she pulled out this construction paper calendar and she was using stickers to say, okay, usually you see me this day, but you're not going to see me this day. You're going to see me this day instead. And I said, why are you showing her this like whole calendar? She doesn't even understand the concept of time. She doesn't Uh understand like yesterday, today, and tomorrow. How is she going to get this? And the therapist said it really erodes trust between the therapist and the child if the child misses a week and no one says anything about it. And the whole way home, I was like, my mind was just uh-huh. around in circles. And I'm thinking, if it erodes mm-hmm. trust between a child and a therapist to miss one week, what is it doing for my kid to be going back and forth between her dad and I and going to school and not knowing which days are daycare? Like, what can I do to make this better? And I went home and I basically created a very janky calendar (laughs) with illustrations of me, illustrations of her dad, and then illustrations of a school. And I used that calendar to show her what she could expect. And when I tell you it was night and day with her anxiety, I am not exaggerating. It was crazy. And I think I would have, if somebody had just said to me, like, oh, you don't need a therapist, you need a calendar, I would have been like, yeah, it could not possibly be that simple. You don't understand the level of stress in my household. My daughter literally got kicked out of daycare because she could not stop crying. It was an incredibly traumatic time for us. And that calendar made a bigger difference than probably anything else that we did. And And you know what's interesting about that is, So, I mean, my background is special education, right? So we talk about visuals, um, calendars, picture exchange programs. We think about kids with special needs. Mm -hmm. We we think about kids with autism, right? And and so this is an umbrella that is, I just, I love it because there's predictability for kids now. Mm -hmm. Even if there's a little change in the day, they still know what's going to come. And, you know, imagine going back to being a two or three or four or five-year-old and not knowing what your day was going to look like, where you're going to be, where you're going to go. Like any one of us as adults would not want to function that way. 
Mm -mm. No. And I think we kind of forget that adults are little people and that they need (laughs) the same sorts of, like, if you think about what would happen if you lost your phone, you know, and you Mm -hmm. had no idea where you were supposed to be because your entire life is on that thing. (laughs) Like kids feel like life is happening to them all the time. And they're just like trying to follow us and keep track of what's going on. And that's really a stressful thing. You know, we think they don't need to know this stuff, but it really is the foundation for their mental health. And so, you know, anytime something stressful happens, everybody's always like, oh, stick to a routine. If you stick to a routine, that really helps. And it absolutely does. But if you take it one step further and you make that routine visual so your kids can literally see their mornings, they can see their evenings, it is a reminder that they are safe. And there is a difference between being safe and feeling safe. And visual structure, like calendars and routine charts, is a sense of felt safety. And it's absolutely vital. Yeah. And I think about some of the things that, I mean, as an educator, as a principal in all the different roles, I read a lot of reports from child psychologists, from social workers, et cetera, et cetera, and personal experiences with family members as well. And we when you're in a moment like that and your kids are in crisis and you're in crisis, you really need to, to ask for help from people who, who, who have some expertise in the field. Mm-hmm. Some of the things like creating a safe space for them to express their emotions and they, they're not going to feel any judgment or things like that. Having one-to-one time every single day with them, with, you know, even if you have a family of five, you figure out a way that you can have that communication every day. They really have some brilliant, brilliant ideas that we we can bring into our own lives. So play therapy, art therapy, music therapy. We've talked about that in a couple of other shows as well. So we can't put ourselves in the minds of our two, three, four, five-year-olds, but if they can learn to express it, then they can get the help they need. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Let's jump into a huge umbrella. Sarah, what advice do you have for parents who want to raise their kids differently than we were raised. And I hope this show, I hope Taking the Helm is helping people to see that we must raise our kids differently than we were raised because the world is such a different place. Yes, the world is a totally different place. And you really, you know, although I will say when I was growing up and I was in seventh grade, I think I could have used a lot more coping skills, (laughs) you know, Um, but the difference is, My parents, my mom especially, was like really wanting to do everything well as a parent. And they just didn't have the research out there at that point that they have now, Um, which is both a positive. I mean, I would say it's largely a positive, but it also can be really overwhelming as a parent when there's a thousand things that are being thrown at you and you feel like no like it's constantly like conflicting, like, oh, I should have done this. And oh, no, I should have done this. And and it's, it becomes like, I give up, because I can't possibly go through a foot and a half tall stack of parenting books, when I'm barely making it through the day. And so I think if I had anything to say to myself before I had kids about like, what would be the most helpful thing skill from myself to develop, it would be the ability to regulate my own emotions Mm. because these kids are going to push every single button you have. And if you are able to like mindfully recognize what's going on in your own body, it is very helpful. Now that said, I did not have that skill when I had my daughter 
And because most of us were not raised this way, uh, most of us don't have these skills, you know, as we should. And so what I created um, during the pandemic, I, I had all this, these things, mostly visual structure in place. And during the pandemic, I realized that parents really needed some help with their kids' mental health. And there was really nothing out there that was like a, something you could do at home. Everybody was on a waiting list for therapists. So I started researching what could we do at home to protect our kids from these mental health crises. And what I learned was that there are actually protective factors out there. There are things that we can do at home, things that we can teach our kids um, that will help them cope with day-to-day life when something difficult happens, but will also create like a common language so that when something goes wrong, you have something to fall back on, some way of communicating with your kids so that you can be that trusted person that they come to, even if you weren't raised this way. Bang so on. I found an early childhood specialist and we assembled a whole uh, advisory board and we created all of these different tools so that parents can create a common language with their kids so that they can teach all of the things and learn right alongside their kids. We took all the research and we like made it as succinct as humanly possible so that there isn't a stack that's a foot and a half long of stuff that you have to read. And we made it fun. So you can teach problem solving skills to your kids because how many of us actually learned how to solve a problem? Like in how many of us know how to teach a problem? Like even (laughs) school counselors are irritated with the number of kids that are coming to them saying, I said this and then I said that. And they're like, this is not a big deal. But the thing is, it is a big deal to your kids. And that's so, the point. If, it, right. if it's a big if it, deal to them, then it has to be addressed. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> and so they're saying to the kids, is this a big deal or a little deal is really unhelpful. It's not giving them a skill to solve their problem. So we basically came up with like a workbook so that kids can work through big, complicated problems and like a worksheet thing that you can stick on the wall, a little problem solving poster. So that if it's a in the moment issue where like yada yada won't share her, whatever it is, here's how we can solve this in the moment problem. You know, how do we make it so that our kids feel comfortable coming to us when they have a problem? How do we build a foundation of open communication? These are the kinds of things that will make a huge lasting difference in your kid's skill level and will make it so that when they have their first heartbreak, they have skills to handle it. There's a whole bunch of emotional stuff, identifying emotions, where they live in the body, you know, how the nervous system works, how coping skills can affect the nervous system. Because if you don't explain why something works or how it works, people don't really think it works. Like I was talking to an elementary school teacher who was like, I thought deep breathing was total crap until I learned how the nervous system works and how it literally changes the chemistry in your brain and calms your entire body down. And now she totally uses deep breathing as a coping skill. Okay. So many things here, Sarah. I just want to jump in about your children's book series. 
Um, yours is a little bit different than mine and my co-authors, but I, I have a really good friend. Her name is Trish Donai, Collaboration Without Competition. I am thrilled to bring your books um, forward. I'm thrilled to talk about anybody's children's books that thinks about it, that teaches about proactive strategies in any way, shape or form. And I have to tell you, my niece and I, she's a social worker. We've been going into classrooms from kindergarten to grade five. And one of our books is about deep breathing and we are modeling deep breathing and they are eating it up. And so is the staff. And it's not just about teaching it in that moment. It's like you said, it's a strategy we can all use. If you know you're about to go into a stressful situation, like before I go up on a stage, I have to do deep breathing or I'm going to faint deep breathing. Mm -hmm. I, I just use it as a strategy to calm myself. And that's only one of hundreds of strategies and visualizations that we can be using. So I thank you. I thank you very much for bringing this to the forefront. Thank you. I just want to throw this in. I went to Stats Canada to see, you know, what's the research specifically to parent concerns around their children's uh, emotional well-being. 61% of parents surveyed in Canada are concerned about managing their child's or their children's behaviors, stress levels, anxieties, and emotions. And that's why we're here to try to help people find a solution or solutions that will work based on their own family situation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think th there's some things that you learn in life that just are like those moments where you're like, I will never forget this. And I think understanding how the nervous system works is one of those things. It can positively change the way that you look at your entire life. Agreed. Agreed. Great closing comment before we go off to break. And when we come back with Sarah, we're going to be talking about what the benefits of <laughs> this is tough for us, right? As adults becoming vulnerable with our kids and admitting we're wrong. We'll see you back in a moment. America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. <laughs> Our children are growing up in a world that is more complex than ever. It's time to start thinking proactively. Meet Zerko and the children who glow in the color they are feeling because they haven't learned to control their emotions yet. In the Power of Thought Children's series, we're not only teaching children about emotional vocabulary, but how to recognize how they are feeling and what they can do about it. We live on an imaginary planet called Tezra, where every character is named after a crystal. Each of the five books in the series takes children into a situation they can relate to, but teaches problem-solving skills and evidence-based strategies they can use for life. This series was developed in collaboration with clinicians, educators, parents, and guardians, and it's the winner of the Mom's Choice Award. Check it out at lynnmclaughlin.com under the Books tab. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. You are listening to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. 
Have a question for Lynn or her guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now, back to the show. We're back with Sarah Olsher. We have discussed really anything that can apply to us as adults if we experience a crisis in our in our lives and why it's so important to be as open as possible with our children for their emotional well-being because they're going through the toughest time in their lives too very likely. So let's jump in now about that probably one of the toughest things we do as parents because you know we're invincible, we're perfect, we have to be the perfect role model. Why is it so important for us to show our vulnerability to our kids, Sarah? I mean, I would say that because we are role models, it is vital that we show our vulnerability and our imperfections because the truth is None of us is perfect. And if we model to our kids that we're okay with not being perfect, we take the pressure off of them to be perfect. And I cannot tell you how many, you know, we call them type A kids who are like, oh, I need to do everything right. I need to, you know, get the best grade. I need to do the best. I was 100% type A. And it did not really, it didn't really serve me all that well, you know? And when I think about the amount of shame that I piled on myself in my, you know, adolescence, teens, twenties over stuff that was just like, now I don't even remember what it was. I want to give my daughter the gift of not having to deal with that shame because it really doesn't help. There's a difference between guilt and shame and shame serves no purpose in my mind. So. One of the ways that you can do this is by apologizing to your kids when you mess up, because we're all going to mess up. And I really would like to give you the permission to mess up and say, like, this whole super mom, superhero, super parent thing, I am not here for it. It's I a think fallacy. It, it's a fallacy <laughs> and it's mean and it's terrible. We're being mean to ourselves if we feel like we need to do it all and I'm totally hate it. So I am totally imperfect in front of my daughter. And I will say to her, because we all lose our temper sometimes, even somebody who has been practicing, you know, emotional regulation for a very, very long time, we all lose it. And I will say to my daughter, and I just said this to her like two days ago, I'm really sorry for yelling at you about, I feel like I'm harping on you for all the things. And it's not about you. I am really tired because the cat woke me up in the middle of the night and I haven't slept in a week and it isn't your fault. And I'm really sorry. And she's like, it's okay, mama. It happens to everybody. And I'm like, I appreciate your forgiveness. And, you know, because of this, Now, when she makes the mistake, I am watching this girl. She is in seventh grade now, which I seriously can't believe. Mm -hmm. I am watching this girl have situations in school where she didn't get a grade that she liked. And she goes to the teacher and says, can I, can I do it again? And she's advocating for herself. Gotta love it. Yes, she is advocating for herself. And thank goodness schools are different now. um, Because when she goes to the teacher and says, can I do it again? The teacher says, Absolutely. I really love that you're taking initiative and totally do it again. The kid is, I mean, I just kind of can't get over her. 
Um, so I oh, think come on, wait, let me interrupt here with a little bit of credit because you realized when she was a little, little person that she needed that intervention and you're mm-hmm. seeing, you're seeing the results of that now, right? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I would, I would also say, you know, this is a kid who has dealt with a lot in her life. She, her, her she has not a great relationship with her dad, unfortunately, her, she, her mother had cancer. Her mother had a blood clot. She has anxiety. Like there's a lot that she has to deal with. And I think just saying to her and really living the experience of everybody has their battles to fight and you've been given some in childhood that other people don't have until they're grownups. Um, that is your path to walk and everybody is going to have to figure out how to deal with something difficult mm-hmm. in their life. And so I think, especially for, I don't know why cancer patients do this to ourselves, but so many of us feel guilty for what having cancer did to our children or did to our families, uh, as if we would have chosen cancer. <laughs> yes. Oh. Um, you know, but when something hard happens in childhood, it is there. The silver lining to this is you are there to help your kids through it. You know, like there was a dad that I talked to who was saying he was so relieved that he got his daughter through her 18 years without any trauma happening to her. But then she went to college in New York and was there for like three months and the World Trade Center was attacked and he was like, no, but the point of life as a parent is not to create a bubble in which nothing terrible happens to your kids because it's not reasonable. Like every single one of us is going to have trauma in our lives. So the goal is to raise our kids resilient enough to be able to handle whatever life throws at them. Yeah. And I think it's important when you're going through something like that to find time for me journaling. And I've said this before, journaling is what's gotten me through. I journaled when I was a teenager for Pete's sakes to take a step back and try to think as hard as it is about the bigger, bigger picture. Not only what do I have control over? What are my options? What are my choices? Which path am I going to go down? Do I need to go and get another opinion? Who do I need to talk to? But how is this affecting the people around me? And even if you're not in a place where you can do it yourself, Find someone who can get your kids in to wherever they need to go or speak to staff at the school who will have some compassion and some empathy for, you know, what's going on in your child's life. Mm-hmm. That proactive piece, that's what this is all about. Absolutely. Um, and it's really tough, as we said, we've been saying all along when you're in the midst of it. Absolutely. And I think that was one of the things that I really wanted to consider when creating all of the products that we created was how do we make this? as easy as humanly possible to teach and fun, like and engaging for kids. Cause it's not like if something is hard, it's not going to get done because life is hard. We're dealing with so many other things. And some of the stuff I'm creating is for children with cancer. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine a harder time when your child is, has cancer? We have to make things easier on parents. Well, there's a test of resilience for sure. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, That that is heartbreaking in itself in any way, shape or form. And boy, uh, I honestly don't know how parents get through something like that. Thank goodness for the support systems that we have around us now through not-for-profit agencies 
through our government agencies and through and through parents and families and friends. And mm-hmm. we can talk openly about things today that maybe we couldn't have a decade ago. Oh, I love it. Um, I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago. She was talking about the fuse box, right? So back in my day, I think we had 15 emotional words. There's over 200 now, right? Mm-hmm. So our kids are feeling so many more emotions that are coming into them than we did. That's another reason to think about this differently. I love that. Yeah. Um, you and I, well, we mentioned earlier, taking some one-to-one time, even small group time with our with our family. You've de- developed something called special time cards. Yeah. Yeah. So the research shows that you spend quality time with your kids. You spend 15 minutes. That's all it really takes for your kids to feel, you know, a connection with you. It's about quality, not necessarily about quantity. So you can take the guilt off the table. Um, but the whole thought behind this in the positive parenting movement is like, it is child led. So Whatever your kid wants to do, you have to do that for 15 minutes. And that is not reasonable for a lot of parents. There are many of us who are exhausted from raising a billion children, from working three jobs, from cancer treatment, whatever it is. Um, And so we developed these cards called special time cards. And basically the idea is that they're color coded. And so you can spend the 15 minutes with your kids, but before you open the door to it, you choose like four or five cards that are something you're willing to do. So you can choose between active, chill, art, and play. Okay. I'm going to choose one. Okay. Active. Could you pick an active card? Yes. So those are the purple, those are the purple cards. And there's also blank ones because every family is different. And so active Take a walk could be one of them. Hide and seek. Playing floor is lava. So, oh, that sounds interesting. (laughs) If you have uh, worked a, you know, double shift, chances are high. You are not going to want to be jumping on couches in order to avoid the floor being made of lava. (laughs) So maybe you want to choose a blue card, which is like read together, play a card game, watch screen time together, (laughs) like things that you can do with your kids. So you are not playing Barbies for three and a half hours. um, And you're still connecting with your kids. And one hack that I thought was way cool was we gave these cards to a, a mom who has ADHD. And she was thrilled because her issue was when she was playing with her kids, she would get bored. And she was like, I don't, I don't want to play this anymore. And so, but it would hurt her kids' feelings to like shut them down and be like, I don't want to play this anymore, but I will literally scratch my eyeballs out if I have to keep doing this. So she was like, I used the cards. And when I started to get bored, I was like, hey, let's choose another card. And then everybody got excited and we chose another card. And she was like, I played with my kids for an hour and a half. And I was like, oh. wow. So, so that's Dude. just an example of one of the tools that we created. Do kids get a chance to veto or say, ah, I pass on that one? Yeah, you give them you give them a selection. Of, and okay. so you're like, okay, here's like six cards I'm willing to do. Which one do you want to do? Oh, I love it. Yeah, love it, so love it, every, love it. everybody feels like they have, I'm all about giving kids choices, empowering them. Um, because when you do that, there's less power struggles. Their behavior is so much better. Like it's better for their, you know, mental health, all of the things. So the more Mm -hmm. power you can give your kids, the better. 
All right. We've talked about your children's books. We've talked about your special time cards. What other tools do you offer? Um, I would say the main thing that that I do is uh, visual schedules, um, which we talked about in the beginning. So I have these like metal schedules where kids can use reusable stickers to put their routines together, to put their you know week together. And it's really like a fun way to make life make sense to kids, but also to improve their behavior, make them feel better. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, the special time cards are one thing. Each thing comes with what we call a power up, which is a, all of the research condensed into a 24 page booklet with some activity sheets. And it's telling you how to implement this tool for your kids, how to learn the skills together. Um, so there's really a whole bunch of things. Um, and I have like little bundles of different things that you might want to teach your kids. So Yeah, there's a whole bunch of things that we've got. Sir, I just want to read something to our listeners that comes directly from your website. I just think this is so powerful. We create products that make being an awesome parent easier. We don't believe in perfection. We don't believe you need to be a superhero. We do believe, and research shows, that there are some skills everyone needs to be well-adjusted, kind, and resilient. We're here to make that happen. Without the thick parenting books are loads of extra work. And we all know how important research is. We don't just uh, do things that are fly by night, right? We want evidence-based, as you said already, research-based tools and strategies. You've got science-backed tools to easily prioritize kids' mental wellness to prepare your kids. You've got lists of resources, nonprofits for parents and children with cancer, the best books about divorce for kids, the best books about divorce for adults. And we didn't mention your podcast, Raising Resilience, which also focuses on taking research-backed expert advice and distilling it into actionable takeaways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I everything that I create, I want to be evidence-based and you know research-backed because there's so much great research out there about what helps kids, and you know we just need to make it so that it's easy to implement at home. So people listening to this podcast, um, listening to this radio show are very often in the midst of the struggle of their lives. Mm -hmm. Where do I start as a parent when I know my kid is in trouble? I just don't know what to do. I would say you should almost always start with some kind of visual structure, which is why it's kind of the foundation for Mighty and Bright. Uh, It really makes a big difference to help kids feel that sense of safety Um, I also have a book called Nothing Stays the Same, and that's okay. And it's kind of a fun book that talks about change and how that can make kids feel overwhelmed and what overwhelm is. And I just got a message from a mom like literally last night talking about how she didn't really understand what was going on with her son. He just seemed really upset. And when she was talking to him and reading this book to him, he opened up and was basically just like, I feel upset because school is ending and I don't want to have summer and I don't want to have a different teacher next year. And she was like, I had no idea what was going on. So if you give kids an opportunity to, you know, just read a book, no pressure and see if something comes up, I think it can really, that open communication helps a lot. It's almost like a storyboard. I think about that, right? As an as a teacher, as an educator, you create a storyboard about a situation that's occurring, which is not the child, 
but they can relate to it immediately, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you knew, for example, your child were struggling with what you just said, the end of the school year, you could actually create a storyboard about all the different possibilities and, you know, things that they could hold on to to get them through the summer. Go visit your your classroom, possibly in August. You'll be able to meet your new teacher, you know, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's setting them up in advance. Um, but, but when we don't know what it is, and sometimes our kids won't talk to us either, right? Yeah. They're afraid of, of hurting us or bothering us. And it's not just, and maybe we have open communication with them, but they just don't want to talk to us. There is no problem with talking to a friend, a sister or a brother, an aunt or uncle and say, yeah, something's going on here. You want to take them for an ice cream? See if you can figure it out. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And bring in that other set of eyes. Totally. You know, you know, we don't know anything sometimes, especially when our kids get older, we don't know anything. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. More evidence that asking for help is a good thing for our kids too. Well, you won't have to worry about that with your daughter in grade seven going into the teen years because you've already equipped her so well. (laughs) I sure hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. Okay, Sarah, where can people reach you and do the research that they might want to do uh, about all the resources that you've talked about today? Uh, You can find me on my website, which is mightyandbright.com, or I'm on Instagram and TikTok at mightyandbrightco. Awesome. And I just want to close by thanking you for exposing your vulnerability and making it okay to talk about things that very often we really struggle to do. Thank you so much. It's time to introduce next week's guest. It's Dr. Anna Esperham. She is triple board certified in pediatrics, integrative medicine, and medical acupuncture. She has extensive experience in treating chronic health issues, pain, and sleep deprivation in children and adolescents. She uses an integrative therapy approach with emotional, spiritual well-being, and mind-body connections. Anna is passionate about teaching younger kids the coping mechanisms they need for stress, emotional regulation, and resilience. So let's check our compass and learn what we need to as we empower our kids to face the ups and downs of life, which will surely come. Have an inspiring week, everyone. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Taking the Helm. We hope that Lynn and her guests have provided valuable insights on how to create a safe emotional space for your children that empowers them to be their best selves. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.